Thank you. Thank you, Jordan, again, for leading us in our time of worship thus far. And as we continue on in our time of worship now, I ask that you open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians chapter 3, it's a familiar passage to many of us. In fact, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, someone whom uh, most of us here would, would be familiar with, says of Philippians chapter 3, um, this is one of the most eloquent statements of what it truly means to be a Christian. And we're looking specifically this morning at verses 7 through 11, where we see the testimony of a man, the Apostle Paul, who could faithfully say that he would count all things as loss so that he would know the true sweetness that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The glory that comes with knowing Christ comes by counting all as loss. In, excuse me one second, there we go. In April 1775, General George Washington, during the American Revolution, he was standing outside the city of Boston with one of his friends, John Hancock. And John Hancock, he was one of the wealthiest men in the world at that time. Um, And Washington turned to him and said, John, should we bombard the city of Boston? Hancock, turning back to Washington, said, all the wealth that I have in the world is in houses and other real estate in Boston. But if the expulsion of the British army requires their being burnt to the ashes, issue the order for that purpose immediately. Now, how incredible would it be if in churches all across the world people had that same conviction for the cause of Christ like Hancock did for the cause of freedom? Can we say, can I say, with absolute certainty that we count all as lost for the sake of Christ? In our passage this afternoon, we, this morning, we see an example of, of that. The Apostle Paul, who could faithfully say that very thing. We have in our passage what I like to call classic Paul in his writings, his literary style. He will never give a theological command or theological application without first or, or secondly basing it or giving a theological basis for that command. And so this morning we have that example for us to follow. He's given us his autobiography. In our text we have Paul, a genuine believer, who counts two key aspects of his life as loss and gives us three rich theological reasons or truths for being able to do so. But before we get into our passage, I'd like us just to examine our hearts briefly. Can you, can I say, like the Apostle Paul, that we give up every part of our life truly for the sake of Christ? And secondly, do you just give an impulsive answer of yes? Yes, I do that. I give up. I'm a a Christian. I give up every part of my life for Christ. Can I ask, does your your life reflect this on a day-to-day basis? Let's talk about this a little bit further. We talk about presuppositions or or pre-understandings. When it comes to the gospel of Christ, the full depth of the gospel, to understand the concept of salvation itself, you must, I must first understand that there is absolutely nothing we can do in and of ourselves to make us righteous before God. That is fact. That is absolutely, there is absolutely nothing that we can do. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our good deeds, our righteous deeds, are but filthy rags for the presence of the Almighty. 
So, if, they, if our righteous deeds, if our good deeds are nothing, why do we live as though they are? Reading our Bible once a week or, or coming to church on a Sunday? Can I ask, do you do these things with the mindset that they earn you favour with God, that they make you righteous in God's eyes? These and many more things as, as Christians. If you say yes, then, then this is... This specific sin is, is called self-righteousness and it is what Paul is addressing here. All the scriptures tell us that our good deeds alone are worth, nothing, are worth nothing when it comes to the matter of our salvation. So we should, like the Apostle Paul, understand that we have no confidence in our own abilities when it comes to salvation. In other words, we can count all as loss all our own self-righteousness as lost for the sake of Christ. But now let's take it one step further. Why should we, putting our conf- why should we be putting our confidence in anything of this world? Anything. 1 Peter 2.11 says we are to live as temporary residents, as, as forerunners. So again, like the Apostle Paul, we must understand that any social standing or prestige that we may have, any monetary blessing that the Lord has given us, even our own life, should the Lord will it, we must count all those things as loss compared with the surpassing value that is to know Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is a relationship that is marked by counting all as loss on the foundation that is Christ. With these things in mind, I'd like us to read our passage. I'm reading from the Lexham English English Version this morning. It says, verse 7, But whatever were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss. Sorry, I count all things to be loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and counted them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Now, some context for, for our passage this morning. As, as far as the church at Philippi goes, of all the churches that Paul was writing letters to, the church at Philippi was actually going quite well. Verse 1 in Philippians tells us that they had a, a good, solid church uh, structure, leadership in place. They were faithful supporters of, of Paul's ministry. And this letter is quite unique. The theme of this letter is, is, is one of joy, one of admonition. It's, it's in, written in a very personal style. So Paul has a connection with these believers. He's concerned for their protection. So when we get to Philippians chapter 3, the apostle is warning his fellow brothers and sisters against the false teaching of the Judaizers. Something that Jeff has, has taught us several, over several weeks now. The Judaizers were amongst that region and they were infiltrating churches with this false gospel, the idea that salvation comes through faith in Jesus plus one's own obedience to the law. 
essentially saying that salvation plus works is, is uh, sorry, faith plus works is, is how we go about salvation. Only by strict adherence to the law of God and the customs of the Old Testament can one truly be saved. And this teaching fundamentally distorts what it truly means to be a Christian, which is why Paul gives us this incredible description here of the nature of a true believer. He does it by giving an autobiography, outlining God's dealings with himself in his, in his own salvation. Our first point this morning that I want to look at is religion that is all loss. We see through context, looking first at verse 7, Paul is counting his religious privileges as loss for the sake of Christ. He takes up what we call like the language of accounting and he gives us the first glimpse as to what a genuine believer must hold to. He says, verse 7, But whatever these things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What? What is he counting as loss here? Well, we always look in context, 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 right? So we go back to verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6. Just look there briefly with me, where he gives seven religious advantages that Paul himself had trusted in before that day that the Lord had met him on the Damascus Road. First, he says, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more. Circumcised the eighth day. So here Paul is saying that he used to previously, he trusted in his religious ritualism. Number two, he says, He's of the nation of Israel. He's not merely a proselyte like so many of the others of the day. And so he trusted in his religious heritage. He said he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Somebody that is able to trace his descent to one of the most highly regarded tribes in Israel. So he was trusted in his high social standing. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. His parents were sure to maintain their traditional Jewish customs in a world where Roman culture was so influential. So he trusted in his religious traditions. With respect to the law, he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the most strict sect of Judaism and so he trusted his religious devotion. He was so sincerely jealous, number six, for the purity of Judaism that he killed Christians. So he trusted in his religious sincerity and acceptance with God. And finally, number seven, he says, as to righteousness which is the law... I was found blameless. So he trusted ultimately in his own self-righteousness. Seeing what Paul had previously held to, those seven things, when you get to verse 7, you see the huge contrast that has taken, the huge change that has taken place in Paul's life. Whatever these things were gained to me, those things I count as loss. Paul, in the eyes of the Jews, he was, he was perfect. He had it all. He was to the nth degree perfect as far as Judaism went. It's as if he's getting his little account ledger book out and he's got a pluses column and a minuses column and all those things he's listed off, he's got in the pluses column so that when he stands before God and presents his little book, look God, this is what I've done, look at all my pluses. This will make me justify, this will, this will justify me before you God. But now verse 7, it's like, I have had my eyes open to Christ. I realize that all those things, they are nothing. The very doctrine that Paul is protecting the Philippians from is the very doctrine that he himself held to. 
A man who is so ingrained in religious practices, yet could now say all those pluses, all those things, they are but lost for the sake of Christ. The importance of this transaction is, is brought out even more in Paul's specific choice of words. The word loss in verse 7, he uses that as a noun and this only happens one other place in the entire New Testament. It's in Acts chapter 28 or 27 I think where Paul is in the shipwreck um, in a storm on the ship. The ship's about to be wrecked. So violent are the wind and the waves. The storm is brewing around them. And so the members of the crew literally began losing cargo overboard, not just because they wanted to, but because their very life depended upon them getting rid of those things. And this is the same idea that Paul is bringing up. Self-righteous religious practices must literally be thrown overboard, eradicated from your life because your very life, your very salvation depends upon these things. If Paul considers this idea so dangerous, why should we not be aware of this today? We need to examine our hearts. Just coming along to church or going to a home group, serving the working bee, or for that fact, any religious ceremony that you might attend, do these practices and customs merely prop up your own self-righteousness Or are they all but lost for the greater purpose, which is Christ? If you think that these things alone make you a Christian, you are badly mistaken. You might say, well, those things aren't necessarily bad. Going to church, going to home group, it's not a bad thing, I know. But here I'm talking about the heart motive something that no one else other than God himself can see in your heart and life. Church, fellowship, reading our Bibles, they are a joy for us as believers as we obey the word of God. They aren't the direct agent of salvation. You must, I must consider all as loss. Any false self-religious practices that we have will only hinder our true salvation. Coming into our our second point now for point one. Religion that is all loss. Verse 8, Paul moves to say, more than that, more than my own self-righteousness, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. Paul now is addressing more than just the concerns of the Judaizers here. It's as if the Philippians are are looking at Paul, that close relationship they have with him and saying, you know what, Paul, do you miss what you had in Judaism? Do you miss those things that you could have continued on in? And he says, not only do I not miss it, but I count it all as absolute rubbish, as dung, nothing more than garbage that is fit to be thrown to the wild dogs. Upon reading this passage, it might seem like somewhat of a repeat of of verse 7, but notice closely, he says in verse 7, considered. In other words, he puts ED on the end to make it past tense. It's talking about his point of conversion. 
But here in verse 8, he says, consider, no ED. He's explaining, Paul, he's emphasising that this previous decision to give up his religious privileges was more than just an impulsive act of the past, but rather it was a deep-rooted decision that he had not regretted and continued to practice until this day. It's as if he's saying to the Philippian believers, I continue to count all these religious practices as loss. Unlike our first section, Paul does not lay out for us a detailed list, one after the other, of things that he could have trusted in. But it would have been things probably like his Roman citizenship, any material possessions that he may have had, or social standing that he could have enjoyed. Either way, we know that Paul here is including absolutely anything in his entire life that he could have confidence in over Christ. And this is an ongoing thing for Paul. Each day, the things that he could have confidence in, he continues to remind himself that they are but loss for the sake of Christ. Now, do you, do I do this on a daily basis in our quiet times? Do we examine our hearts saying everything that we could put our confidence in, every possession, every monetary blessing, even every relationship, even our own lives, do we consider them but lost compared with our relationship with Christ? You know, verse 8 where he talks about the surpassing value of knowing Christ. We talked about this in our theology class this morning. This idea of knowledge is, is not one of just an awareness, this idea of knowledge is so much more deep-rooted. It comes from the Old Testament where it can be traced all the way back to Adam and Eve where Adam knew his wife. It is a close, intimate, personal relationship as to cause what might be called communion. He speaks of his relationship with Christ that includes not only being loved by Christ but also loving him in return. And that's what true communion actually is. The true result of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our one and only Lord, the communion that is with Christ. Only this kind of relationship and this kind of knowledge can be so valuable that we would not only gladly suffer for it, but, we would, but that it would continually compensate for the loss of everything else in our entire lives. The knowledge that is Christ Jesus, your relationship with Christ, is something that you would not only gladly suffer for, but that it compensates for the loss of everything in your entire life. Can I ask, do you have this morning here that true knowledge? A continual, ongoing denying of everything in your entire life, whereby you have communion with Christ. This is knowledge worth having. This is knowledge that is surpassingly valuable, as Paul says. We continue now into our second point. We've looked at religion that is all loss, self-righteousness, our own religious justification, everything, that, everything we must count as loss. And now, moving into this next section from verse 8 onwards, we see Paul's rich theological explanation of why he can actually go about doing this, why he can consider all as loss. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him. To gain Christ and be found in him. What a joy that is, not only for Paul, but for us today, to say that we have gained Christ and been found in him. Let's read uh, the rest of our passage. It says, the end of verse 8, I consider all as lost. Why? So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings conform to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The first foundation upon which Paul's relationship with Christ and our own relationship with Christ, in fact, is that of justification. Now, I know justification is, is not a word that we use regularly in our vocabulary, but nonetheless, it is an important theological truth for us to understand. To be justified essentially means to be declared righteous before God. Declared righteous, not because what have we've done, but because what Christ has done on the cross. That is the heart of the gospel. I am a sinner, but through the death of Christ, I can stand in the presence of the Almighty God, declared righteous by His blood. Paul is emphasizing one point here. We need righteousness, which is through faith in Christ. My own righteousness, your own righteousness, does not cut it with God. I need righteousness which comes from faith in Christ. Righteousness which comes from God himself. This is true justification. I can be taken out of the equation, which is why Paul can say, I count all as loss. See how well it fits with his first point in verse 7? We must count all as loss because we ourselves cannot come before God pure in any way. Do you honestly believe this truth of justification in your own life? Or are you living in a way that boosts up your own self-righteousness before God? Do you still legalistically practice things? Like I said before, reading your Bible, going to church. Do you do these things out of a joy in your heart that comes from obedience from the Word? This justification is the mark of a true believer. Our second foundation or reason Paul can place his hope in Christ is that of sanctification. And we see this in verse 10. Sanctification, again another word that we don't use very often, but it essentially means the continual conforming into the image of Christ This is something that takes place in our lives on a daily basis. We are sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's important to follow Paul's progression here. He starts with justification, but now the necessary fruit of being justified is now being sanctified. The necessary fruit of justification is sanctification. What does that mean? Well, if God declares you righteous... Each and every one of us here, born again, 
If He declares us righteous, He's not just going to leave us in unrighteousness. God brings us to a saving knowledge of Him in justification. Why? So that we as believers might know Him more deeply as we progress in sanctification. As one commentator puts it, that initial saving knowledge of Christ became the basis of Paul's lifelong pursuit of an even deeper knowledge of his Saviour. Now, I like to illustrate this point, and I use my wife. I know she doesn't like that too much. (laughs) But when I first met her, I didn't just go up to her and be like, oh yeah, she's nice, I know her, then talk to my mates at work on Monday. Yeah, I met my wife, but mm, it's all good. I was like, yeah, I met Nia. You know, I want to get to know her better. I want to continue on in my relationship with her. And that's the very idea that Paul is bringing out here. One who has truly had his spiritual taste buds enlivened to taste Christ's sufficiency in justification is now spurred on by Christ's own loveliness to seek fellowship in sanctification. I'm sure there's an element where people are wondering, well, where does it say sanctification in our text? This beautiful truth is wrapped up in, in verse 10 with the phrase, the power of his resurrection. Let me read just briefly from Romans chapter 6 where Paul is speaking about our union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. When Christ died, we died. When Christ rose, we rose. And he is basically saying that that ought to affect the way, that must affect the way that we live now. Romans 6 verse 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. God's power was displayed in resurrecting Christ from the dead. That same power is upon us who truly are united with him. The effect of that power is that we might walk in newness of life. The power of Christ's resurrection, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit at work within us to equip us to work, walk in practical holiness. This is a power that can be found nowhere else other than in the gospel of Christ. Power that is in a relationship with Him. Power to overcome sin and temptation. Power to endure trials. Power to preach the gospel. Power to lay down our lives in service to Him. To know Christ in his resurrection power is to experience Christ's fellowship in sanctification. Now, what's one way that we might be able to experience that fellowship? He says, the end of verse 10, we might share in the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, how many times in Scripture do we read that the Christian life is going to be a happy go loving life, adventure for all of us. We are promised persecution. We are promised suffering for Christ's sake. Again, looking at our second point, this is why Paul can say he counts all his possessions, even his own life, as loss. Because he is being sanctified, we are being sanctified, and the only sufficiency we need is through Christ. So can I ask, when you face a trial or persecution, cherish these moments of sanctification in your lives. 
we have the opportunity through them to know Christ more and more, to grow in our personal relationship with Him. The mark of a true believer is someone that is being sanctified daily and looks upon that with joy, counting all in life as loss. And lastly, just briefly, look at our, our final foundation for our relationship, which is a personal, intimate communion with Jesus Christ in the process of glorification. Look at verse 11. It says, In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Glorification. This is the culmination of everything. All of our faith, all of our worship, all of our sufferings for Christ's sake, all of our prayer, all of our fellowship with one another, everything that we base our lives on in this life finds its ultimate fulfillment and consummation in seeing Christ face to face in a body free from the corruption of sin. Oh, how much Paul looked forward to this. This face to face communion with Christ. He says, verse 11, if perhaps... And some would say that Paul is somehow in this verse doubting his own salvation. This is the same guy who said in Ephesians, you are chosen before the foundation of the world. That is the last thing that Paul is doing. He is showing his humility here. How could I, Paul, the chief of sinners who killed Christians, persecuted the church, how could I pertain to unhindered communion with Christ one day? Should that not be the same cry for us? How could we, sinners, who go about our lives on a daily basis, marred by sin, how can we stand before the presence of the Almighty? How could I ever hope to be there one day? It is through the righteousness which comes from another, righteousness which comes from the blood of Christ. Do you truly Know Christ? Have you apprehended the surpassing value of knowing Him? Have you tasted His sufficiency and justification and along with Paul can gladly count all loss, all his loss, righteousness of yourself so that you may gain Christ? Are you experiencing Christ's fellowship in sanctification? Can you, with the Apostle Paul, face the loss of everything in your entire life? Possession, money, prestige, social standing. Can you experience the loss of all those things and call it gain because of the surpassing value that is your relationship with Christ? And do you savour the unspeakable delight that will be yours when you enjoy Christ's presence in glorification? Has your heart been captivated with the thought of finally seeing Christ face to face? And does the joy and hope of that day cause you to worship Christ in the here and now? Does the eager anticipation of finally seeing His face cause you to pursue communion with Him in the here and now? This is the true nature of a genuine believer. Someone who can truly say, I count all as loss for the sake 
of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you sinners. Lord, failures in so many areas. We admit our weakness, Lord, that we are not able in so many areas, Lord, we fall short. Legalistically practicing things, Lord, whereby we try and make ourselves righteous in your eyes. But Lord, that can only be done one way. It is through Christ. And we thank you for that. We thank you for him and the joy that is a relationship with him, Lord. This week, may we be meditating upon these truths. Lord, do a work of sanctification in our hearts through your spirit this morning, we pray. In your precious name.